Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. I am George Armistead, and I am here with Alvaro Jaramillo. Alvaro, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, George? Um, fall sparrows are coming back. First backyard golden crown sparrows, the migrant mm. white crown sparrows, like gambles, mm. Puget sounds, uh, Puget ruby tenses. crown king. Yes, ruby crown mm. kinglet, which is a real sign of the second stage of fall for us. You know, like the we get the first stage is yellow warblers and a bunch of things, and then eventually you move into that kinglet and um, yellow rump stage yellow rumps i have not seen yet but uh we're right in that cusp you know from the earlier migrants to the later migrants and exactly that later migrant push that's when the sparrows were a little hardier get down yes so that's all going on oh boy yes Yes, sparrow (laughs) season i rub my hands together yes Mm -hmm. sparrow season (laughs) yes it's a it's a fine time of year yeah Edge habitat and meadows, that's, you know, cold days, gray skies, that's where it's at for me. I love yeah. it. But yeah. Yeah, it's sort of sort of similar here. Um, the big warbler push seems to be mostly done, but, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's getting chilly. People are like, man, like, summer just, like, went later. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like you know it seems like you get these like lingering summers sometimes and that does not seem to be the case i'm like i had my first junco the other day my first purple finch these are things usually reserved for a little bit later you know kind of early yeah. october um but uh but, but yeah it is so so funny you know the east west stuff you know i was just thinking um purple finch for me is like a summer bird and and juncos breed here, you know, so so they're here all year round. And and I was thinking though too, the yellow warblers go in thick here right through you know to to late September. But I think we mentioned this before, perhaps like in the early podcasts that you know east eastern yellow warblers way earlier than western ones. What's going on? They're all yeah. yellow warblers. Why why are they? Late here, early there. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Interesting. I know. Definitely uh, it's a grad student that needs to do some digging there, maybe a couple. Yeah. 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 Or or somebody just needs to look at eBird data and figure it out. I bet it's all in there. <laughs> yeah. Something. Well, that'd probably be a faster, faster way to answer this question. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys, yeah. So you guys are seeing the chill. You're You're getting that you know, head to the raptor observation places kind of. Yeah. Uh, hawk watches are, dude, it's been broad winged hawk show last like week and a half or so been off the charts. Uh, my, my buddy Liam, who's like, his place is just, I don't know, maybe a mile as the broad winged flies uh, on the other side of this big Creek that we have that kind of divides Northwest Philly. And he had uh, over 2000 broad wings go over his place, which by philadelphia standards i think is pretty much unheard of uh it seems like a lot of the coastal sites uh are are having particularly high numbers of broadwings but there's been some pretty impressive counts i haven't i I haven't had any really good flights here at my house um i've been focused more on morning songbird flight uh which has been actually deeply satisfying um but i have had a few i've had a few broadwing flocks go over um, here and there, just like a couple dozen here and there. But I mean, some of these places get that, some of the hawk watches, you know, getting thousands of broadwing hawks steaming through, um, pretty dramatic to see that. Yeah. You, you wonder if a great year for broadwings means just that the conditions are good to concentrate them in a visible place, or is it mean there's just a lot more broadwings this year because they had a great breeding year or both, <laughs> you know, yeah, I was going to say it could be, could be both. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that the ones Liam were seeing were like, he was using a scope and he was picking them out. Like we're talking about how, we're blue, clear blue skies. So you're, he's picking out birds way, way, way up high. 
Um, and he's just like looking for little streams of them coming out of thermals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, I, I feel like I missed, you know, uh, uh, understanding how lucky I was growing up in Toronto where we had a lot of hawks flying over, even over university, you know, or even near my neighborhood. Um, we just would see tons of hawks and I took it for granted, you know, and sort of, Oh, this happens everywhere. And, uh, I didn't spend enough time kind of just taking it all in. Uh, I always thought there were other places that were better, you know, like, Oh, go down to, Lake Erie or, or elsewhere. And it's like, you know what? I could have just sat here watching this and seen a lot of cool stuff, but there you go. You know, you're always chasing after the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, rather than just look at the rainbow. (laughs) Dude. I just noticed that on your, you you typed in a different name on your, on your Zencaster. uh, Yeah, that's right. Profile here. It is, does not say Alvaro. It says no, it doesn't. stringy. <laughs> stringy. Stringy McStringer. <laughs> I was like, man, yeah, is he trying to tell me something? Hmm. Yeah, no. Uh did come up the other day in conversation. Obviously, no names will be mentioned. But uh mm-hmm. how that psychology of birding is such that the concept of the stringer, that the person who well, actually, person or computer, because Merlin, now we can. Merlin, like Merlin can get a little stringy too. Some, yeah, yeah. auto stringer. Yeah, it's auto string. Basic, yeah, yeah, it's like digital stringer. Um, <laughs> the, it, it's, it's essentially the concept of somebody who makes up birds or, or sees something and, you know, without actually making it up, just misidentifies it. Um, over over then, eagerness, I usually, is what eagerness. I usually, yeah. Um, and then how that is a real, real um, thing in birding because we are we do this kind of like as uh, we trust people, you know. And sometimes you feel like the trust is a little broken or there's a little something wobbly there. Yeah, um, people abuse it sometimes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and because you know. It's the it's the thing that somebody who's not a birder always asks. Well, how, okay, so you guys go see these birds. Sometimes they're rare. Well, how do you prove it? You know, it's like, and that's an interesting question because sometimes there is proof, sometimes there isn't, and sometimes there's like really poor proof, and thing people go with something that is less likely. Oh well, you know. But anyways, I just thought I'd put that that up there. And, <laughs> Took you a while to notice. <laughs> yeah, was all of a sudden, I was like, "What's this? What's going on here?" Yeah, yeah, stringy yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I would encourage folks um, that are interested in the subject of stringers. I wrote a piece called "On Stringing" um, for the American Birding Association blog some years ago. Um, the blog lives on all that there i think there's no not really new contributions to the blog these days if i remember right but uh but on stringing aba blog is it's still googleable um and i, I kind of wrote a little a little treatise on this topic because uh because you're an is. expert at stringing you know <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm good at identifying stringer stringers uh, oh stringing. oh look at you Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't yeah. really know so, but I think I think I'm good at it. Um, but I, yeah, I, and I I had a come to Jesus moment with stringing. Did you ever like your own personal stringing as a maybe eager young birder? Oh sure, yeah, definitely. Getting started, it's very very. I think that's a that is a vulnerable time for us birders when you're when you all of a sudden you you just you know just enough to be dangerous. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being with my friend uh, birding. We were teenagers and we were finding cool things and we were starting to sort of kind of really know our stuff. And we might've even had like a really bad scope or something. And then we saw this sparrow in the fall and it was like a weird looking sparrow. It just was not right. And we said, that's a Casson sparrow. This is Ontario where there had been some records of Casson sparrow, but we're not quite sure. And, and we were good enough in the field at the time that that 
people were like kind of we bought it and they bought it. Then later, as as I got more, you know, understood how th- things work in juvenile sparrows and misidentification, I was like, we didn't see a Cassensper. There's no way. <laughs> but we believed it. Um, right. We had no proof. And others believed it. And I felt kind of like ashamed that uh, others had thought you know, we were just eager, you know, we were not making anything up. We did see something really weird and we made notes and so on. And it's probably a juvenile, who knows, you know, chipping sparrow. juvenile sparrows, juvenile sparrows of anything can be pretty, pretty tricky. Yeah. And, and we, yeah. So that that's when I thought, you know, there's no pleasure in, in, in a sort of uh, an identification that's not quite there or believing something that, that isn't, you know, really solid. And my pleasure started being about kind of really trying to get things right. Um, so it's funny that some people don't get that. They just sort of keep going with uh, sometimes not quite all the information and you you identify it nonetheless. But yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, <laughs> there's always sort of, there's like the, always, I feel like this sort of like haves versus have nots in anything. Right. And so there's some people enjoy being like, I have this, you don't, you know, there's, there's sort of that schadenfreude um, aspect of some, uh, some, uh, some of us humans. But I think overall birding is such a shared experience that, you know, there's not that much reward in reporting something that you kind of know wasn't really there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like if, if you can, you know, it's, it's fun to see something really awesome regardless of whether you're by yourself or with other birders. It's always like, you know, that's one of the kind of purest elements of birding is the element of discovery um, and, and being surprised by, by birds. But, but if you can't prove that you saw it and nobody else was with you to share it, um, it's generally not as pleasurable. And also I think, you know, birders, one of the things we are, are good at as a, as a group, as a whole, as individuals is, is identifying patterns. And this is not limited to patterns of uh, bird behavior, but also human behavior. And, uh, and, you know, people that are a little sloppy with their birding, you know, over time, uh, that, that can be, that can become quite clear at times. Uh, I, I so. see a full stringer episode, but <laughs> how would we do it without offending Mm. Yeah, I think we we probably mm. touched just the surface of this enough to we can uh, we can we can step away um, and <laughs> yeah. and move on to another subject. Let's which move on. I did want to I did want to like do a little update on the yard list here, Al. Oh Cause, yeah, because yeah. man, you know when when Kristen and I got this place, we moved in you know a little less than a year ago. I was like. You know, we're not going to have many breeding birds around here. There's not going to be much breeding here. There might be some interesting stuff wintering around here, but the migration seasons here should be pretty good. I thought this could be good, you know. And uh, in May, I had COVID for a bunch of it, and the, it was like east winds the whole time. And there's, it was kind of a, it was a pretty lackluster spring, and I wasn't even able to bird a good chunk of it, uh, and was was also traveling for some of it as well. So we really didn't see much here. But we had a, a nice stack of cold fronts, good days of fall migration. And I thought, all right, I'm going to get up and out tomorrow morning at dawn and just see if anything goes over the yard here. You know, maybe I'll see a couple warblers. And I hit triple digits of warblers uh, two days in a row. And, uh, you know, I couldn't mm-hmm. identify a lot of them. But, like, I had over 100 individual warblers um, go over. And one day I had, like, double-digit species. And it was sort of uh, kind of the spray and pray with the camera. You know, you're, you see these things, little birds rocketing over, and you just try to shoot and hope that you get something identifiable because a lot of them, they're moving too fast and too far to, to really do much with them at the moment. But looking at photographs later, you can pick them apart and see what you got. And Hold on, hold on. Yeah. If you didn't identify it in the field, can you count it for your yard list? Yes. <laughs> i'm gonna give you an unequivocal yes okay uh, I, I don't right. actually Just know the answer it. to that but yeah Just check but uh it's, it's your list it's yeah. your yard 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, this is the way I'm doing it. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but this is the way I'm doing it. Um, you know, I was there. I photographed these birds. I knew I knew they could be something, which is why I was trying to photograph them, right? Even if I couldn't tell in the moment. Um, but yeah, like highlight so far was one bird that, you know, I took a series of maybe 12 photos of it while it was visible. And I was like, first one I looked at, I was like, this looks kind of like a Connecticut word. I was like, but, you know, can't really. Impossible. Sure. Impossible. Yeah, couldn't. Couldn't be, couldn't be. And then I look at the next photo and I was like, this looks like a Connecticut warbler, you know? And I, I look at, you know, five, six, eight more photos. I'm like, I'm like, good Lord, you know, sweet, sweet mother of Jesus, great Odin's <laughs> raven. This is a Connecticut warbler, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was. And I right. was like, I was just like, my head exploded. I was like, so excited, so cool. By the grace uh, of Mother Carey's chickens. Is that <laughs> Connecticut? <laughs> People are going, what are Mother Carey's chickens? You guys look that up. I'll leave it at that. Sweet Mother Carey's chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was awesome. Next day I went out. I had some good good warblers and also had um, not one, but two flyby redheaded woodpeckers. Good bird what? up this way. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and one was a juve and one was an adult. That was pretty awesome. So, um, yeah, the yard listing thing has kind of taken off a bit, man. Pretty jazzed about it. Um, yeah. Going to miss a couple good days here the next couple days. Like tonight tonight and tomorrow night both look like pretty epic migration nights right before the weather gets really nasty. And as chance has it, we're heading down to Cape May uh, later today for two nights. And uh, so I will miss some good yard burning, but I should be in a pretty good place for migration for the next couple of days. I'm very excited about that. Haven't ha- haven't been at Cape May for a really good fall day in a while, so it should be pretty kick ass. Heard, I've heard this Cape May place is good for migration. I've heard, yeah, you know, not too, yeah. not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, reasonable, reasonable. So, so yeah, yeah, wow, man, uh, whoo. George, and yeah, we don't have Molly here today to tell us, you know, what's going on in her patch in terms of migration. But, you know, there's a certain, you know, she lives in really great overall habitat, you know, with with a lot of wildlife. and But you live in a suburban, urban area, which sometimes are actually better for really picking out when migration is happening because it's, it's on or off, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the the yep. beauty of the yard list sometimes, it's like, oh, you know, okay, two or three yellow warblers are in the backyard. That's that's different. Well, if you're in actually really good habitat, like, you know, you would never notice Molly's place, you you might not notice um, yeah. that there's an uptick. Obviously, you notice something, but um, this flyby situation sounds sounds fantastic. As uh, just a, a migrant robin just went over. Look at that. Nice. Um so yeah, that's that's cool. Congratulations, you know. Uh, now you're going to be chasing that day forever. Maybe next yes. next year won't happen. You'll be like, no. And then you know, you know, we chase those great days forever as birders. You know, yeah. that great pelagic, that great whatever. Um, yeah. Well, in a way, it's it's kind of given me like now. I feel like the sky's the limit here. You know, like I've seen just enough good stuff, and on the right conditions there's good morning flight here, you know, by, at least by kind of inland Philadelphia standards, it's, this is a reasonably good area to, to keep hoping for that. And as, you know, as you're talking about, as kind of middle fall approaches here, you know, I just had my first ruby crowns the other day. Uh, red breast and nuthatch has been moving through for a while. Probably start to see some white breasts, I bet. But, uh, yeah, like finches are coming, sparrows are coming, different hawks are coming, you know, the occipiters and falcons are heating up. And then later in the year, can hope for uh you know some some eagle and other kinds of beauty of movement um so i feel like i'm pretty excited um for the next month or so before we go to antarctica then i'm you know obviously going to miss a chunk of yard burning then but for yeah. good cause um right you know um it's yeah, I'm, I'm excited about uh, i feel like anything could go over you know fork-tailed flycatcher black swift you know bring it on bring anyway. it on you know, yeah. you, you said the finches are coming, and right when you said that, two pine siskins landed outside here. I told you, man. I told you they were coming. So yeah. they were coming. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you predicted it. And <laughs> Well, um, migration, events, chasing a day. Uh, we were just talking earlier about storms. Yeah. And um, 
and you know, kind of a. I think it's going to be tragically awful. A hurricane is is happening now. Hurricane Ian. Yeah. Um, and we we've talked about this before. You know that we 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 are interested in the birds that show up in these storm systems, but we're not uh, unaware of the human suffering that this causes, and we don't want to yeah make it no, seem it's... like we 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 enjoy. Th- yeah, you know what I mean. It's. Uh, yeah, I, I remember... Birds do move. Yeah, and I remember uh, during Hurricane Isabel, which is one of the things that came up recently in, in my social media feed. I think it was Brian Pattison posted, it's been 19 years since Hurricane Isabel, which was the first storm where I really went into it hoping to see some birds. But I mean, it was it inflicted untold damage in Virginia in particular, in North Carolina. But um I remember, I think it was Scott Widensall said something. He he's was at the time was watching birders getting really excited about the birds that they might see, you know, in their patches that would normally otherwise never ever ever be there. Uh, and he said at first he was sort of like frustrated by the glee of you know people that were, people were taking in this event, thinking, "Geez, are you not aware of the people losing their homes, or maybe even in some cases their lives?" Um, and he said, "You know, I realized after a while that people are really just taking meteorod- meteorological lemons and kind of making ornithological lemonade." Uh, and I think that's a fair way to to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. Is these storms do actually teach us a fair amount about what birds deal with uh and and what what how they behave um so yeah they, they it, it's a mixed bag right and and if you do yeah. live near the coast or on the coast or near a near a you know in the path of one of these storms it can be pretty darn terrifying terrifying and i know you and i both know some friends that are going to be affected by ian and we just hope that um they come through it okay uh, yeah and ian just knocked out power for all of Cuba, um, yeah, really bad. I mean, um, really bad. Obviously, I was just thinking, uh, yeah, you know, people over there have used to hardship, but it's just like more and more. Um, yeah, it seems like so, it's been stacked upon them lately. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a great a place where I, you know, and I know a lot of people there, you know, and, so, and they're affected directly by this. But um, on the other hand, you know, you these storms like what they show us what they what they come up with in terms of depositing birds sometimes almost like a like a slice of migration on uh, terms of the land birds and then also a a sweep like a squeegeeing effect of the seabirds onto land so there's almost two things that go on at times that teach us a lot about what what is out there what and you know and what isn't you know yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we talked a little bit with Marshall about that, uh, well, quite a bit actually, about that Arctic turn event. And one of the uh, one of these this incredible uh, storm news that just came in was these guys up in uh, Cape Breton, right in in uh, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. I mean, that you, did you get a look at that list of birds? It's just oh yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, crazy. So, the, you know, to, to put it in perspective, you know, Cape Breton is sort of the northeast uh, section island um, in Nova Scotia, sort of on, you know, halfway between the main part of the, the province and Newfoundland, the, you know. And uh, it's got these huge lakes in the, in the middle, almost – you know, they looked like they were probably connected to the ocean at, at one time. Glacial seems like lakes, almost like the Finger Lakes or the locks in Scotland, stuck in the middle of this huge island. And that's where these people went, birding, right in there. Not not the coast. They called it. They, they thought these birds are going to get deposited in inland waterway and they're going to have to move out of there after the storm sort of subsides and boy, did they move George boy, <laughs> did those birds move? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks like it was Nathan hood and another birder. Um, not sure who, but man, like just to give folks a sense of some of the stuff 
that was seen. They had 260 red phalaropes, six parasitic Jaegers, two long-tailed Jaegers, 25 kittiwakes, five sabins gulls, a couple sooty terns, a bridled tern, two white-tailed tropic birds, a white-faced storm petrel, 4,000 leeches storm petrels, and one of the first birds of the day that they had uh, was a Trinidad petrel. Um, and I mean, I've had some pretty amazing storm experiences, but I, yeah. I this, this would be a, this would be a doozy, man. I can't imagine these guys yeah. must've been out of their minds. The Trindaggi. 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 Yeah. Trindaggi. Yeah, yeah. I have no <laughs> idea. We have to get somebody from Brazil to tell us how to, how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you missed so. the one great blue heron. Hey, yeah. Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> 40 yeah, starlings. I yeah, the two blue wing <laughs> teal as well. I forgot to mention them. Yeah. So, but but there's there there's something in that too, right? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking. So they have eight Jaegers, two species. Why were there no Pomeranes? Are they yeah. not there at that time? Um, they're, you know, a bunch of shorebirds, but. You know, just one black-bellied plover. So some of these birds seem to be able to either not get caught up in this, or they they die. Right? Um, yeah. There's there's no warblers in this list. Of course, it's just too too intense. Um, there's no uh, no you know chipping sparrows or something like that. Yet it's mostly in this case with seabirds, and they they did it exactly to try to find seabirds going to a waterway, right? And watching things move from one place to another. But 4,000 leeches and white-faced. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. As you say, a long way for some of these birds to go. Some of the, some, I mean, just the volume of leeches is impressive, but it is curious. It made me, you're, you know, as you're talking about there, kind of mentioning how these storms affect not just seabirds, which is kind of what we often think of as seabirds and shorebirds, right? Like that's, those are the things that are kind of more obviously displaced, but it took me back to hurricane Irene, which I think was 2011, if I remember right, came through here. And it was a great day of birding for me personally. It's actually kind of the day that really kickstarted me into Philadelphia birding. Even though I'd lived here my whole life, I was like, couldn't really go anywhere. And I went down to the, the river, uh, Delaware river. I was like, oh, I'll just see what I see, you know? And I had, I had eight species of terns, which for this inland site is, you know, usually you get one, maybe two turn species in a day to have eight. You know, we had, I had sooties. I had, uh, uh, a, a whole bunch of black terns. Royal tern is rare. Um, and, uh, and the best was a sandwich turn, which I think was the first time that had ever been reported in Pennsylvania. Um, so that was a great day. Down at Cape May, they really had a heck of a day. And one of the things they had there, sort of a non-pelagic, non-shorebird, was this, they had a black swift go over, you know, mm. um, which was pretty crazy, right? And that's, you don't, people don't necessarily think about those birds. Um, obviously, they're affected, you know, they're aerialists. Um, I think the same day, Ned Brinkley reported a brown-chested martin from Cape Charles, Virginia. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, and of course, one of the big questions with the Swift was a lot of people just kind of assumed it was from Western North America, not realizing that as likely as anything would be the, uh, you know, a, a black Swift of the Caribbean population, um, which, yeah. you know, given the track of the storm, that would seem to be a lot more likely. Yeah, no, it it does seem more likely. And, and I think those black Swifts in the Caribbean might be migratory, yet it's not confirmed yet. Um, and then that, that would make it more likely. I think, you know, if you think of them as resident and then you think, oh, what's well, less possible that somebody's going to get kind of caught up in anything and move down, downhill, down, downwind, you know, but um, those might be migratory. We, we know so little about things like Swifts, <laughs> yeah still it's true they all look alike you know um i gotta say that it's you know this might be a rumor i don't know some of the ontario birders and so forth but i think the folks that saw this at cape Breton actually went to find this from ontario they actually drove out there to go and wow. see this and they hit it correctly i mean 
if if that's Man. the case, that is some amazing birding kind of premonition as to go and see an event that might be once in a lifetime. And like how and long a drive having, would that be? Like it's gotta be a long, long ass drive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Canada is pretty big. <laughs> and even though it looks like, Oh, this is a small chunk of Canada. Yeah. It's gotta be like a 20 hour plus, right? Drive. I was going to say maybe close to a day or something, right? Yeah. 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 Although, you know, in Canada, you can go way faster because it's in kilometers. Interesting. Interesting. you mix stringer. Interesting. You go 160. Look at that. Woo. That's fast. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Man, 160. Jeez. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so hopefully, gosh, you know, anybody who's listening to this when it comes out, if you were going through Ian and thinking that we're somehow getting some enjoyment from the tragic aspect of the storm, no, no, that's not it. It's it's what these events can teach us and the interesting things that can happen sort of surrounding the events. Um, but uh, hopefully everybody's safe and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, doing well after Ian. I mean, it's just about to yeah. hit now, as far as I know, like in the next few hours or hour. It looks like a very angry storm. So just hope everybody does okay. Yeah. And, you know, with, with respect to your thought of Black Swift, and we don't know a lot. And we also can't tell the black swifts from the Caribbean from the ones in the West. There's a interesting bird that showed up in the UK that I think is worth talking about. You know, the one I'm talking about there, George, uh, is this, is this the nighthawk? The, the nighthawk. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, there's yeah. a common nighthawk. You know, everybody, People raced out to see this thing. It's like in the middle of, it's in the middle of, I mean, if you can picture where London is and Bristol, south end of the country in England and right between kind of in the middle of nowhere and somebody's back fence just sitting, you know, sleeping there lengthwise on the fence, just like Nighthawks do. And uh, I gather that people, enough people got the word that, there was a huge twitch to go see this Nighthawk and they watched it till the very end of the, the day. And, you know, it started yawning and, and then just took off and flew off to wow. the South. Never, I guess, never to be seen again. So where the heck is that thing going to end up? Jeez. Right. The, t- the town, I guess is called Hallett, Hallett close wantage. Is <laughs> it's a good name. That's probably like the villager in any case. So you got a common nighthawk out there, and they they went through the ID. It's not a lesser nighthawk, but I'm not sure they're considering Antillian nighthawk, which is not that insane. It's actually yeah. more likely than a lesser nighthawk. Oh yeah, but we don't. You know, we don't know enough about them, right? And I think the UK birders are assuming that. It is so far removed from the possibility that it shouldn't be considered, you know, in a vagrant record like this. But the reality is that Attili Nighthawks migrate probably real long distance. And we don't know that clearly because uh, they're so similar to to common Nighthawks that it, unless they're calling, we don't know that they're there. Yeah. So. A couple of years ago, there was one that was detected in Argentina that was calling and recorded. And I think there were a couple of them detected. And then suddenly it was like, oh, my God, they're flying as far south as Argentina. And then you realize it's a long-distance migrant. Yeah, that's wild. I had not heard about that. That's amazing. And then you put together the fact that they've been seen as vagrants to the north and in Bermuda. Yeah. Uh, And I I guess there's – North Carolina. yeah, yeah there's, I, I think there are at least two North Carolina Outer Banks records uh, of birds in in like early summer, you know, bounding around, bounding around, calling, you know, giving the pity pit pit, pity pit pit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that's the, what's the Cuban name for it? Kerekete, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, this, just based on the voice. And if it's not calling, we really don't know how to identify those things, do we? Yeah. I mean, seriously. And they don't. They really don't vocalize this time of year much. Like even just you know normal calls. Like they, as far as I can tell, we we have actually had some decent little flights of common nighthawks, presumed common nighthawks out there. Over our, yeah. <laughs> over the yard here, we had we had almost a hundred one night, but we didn't hear a single one. You know, like none of them yeah. are vocalizing. So, so I know. mean, that's that's a great point. Like, so let's say that every year there's uh, Tilly nighthawks that show up in the north, just in the same way that that cave swallow does. You know, an unusual northern movement in the fall. You could have an Antilly nighthawk every so often flying through Cape May, not calling, and nobody would know. So yeah. the fact that we don't know that they're there doesn't mean they're not there. <laughs> yes. Right. It's, it's very different from like a, a fork-tailed flycatcher flying over your yard like you you predicted earlier. Because um, you would know what that is. But sure. with this, Pretty you distinctive, don't know. Yeah. So the fact that somebody might say, well, it's so unlikely to end up in the UK because you know they really don't move that much. It's like, well, we actually, the, the data is that they do move quite a bit, but there's very little data so far. Right. So I would calling, say you're the, not going to know. Yeah. So I don't know. UK birders count it if you want. Oh, wow. Alvaro, <laughs> you, you're playing the spoiler. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. I, I, actually, you know what I'm doing is there's nobody who's so keen on ID as UK birders and the Dutch. Mm-hmm. You know. And, if anybody is going to figure out how to identify our birds, it's going to be UK birders. So I put that <laughs> out there. I, I put that out there as a as a as a challenge to them. Nice. They've got great photos, um, and and go go and do this for us, guys, gals. Yeah, figure it out. Figure it out. Figure it out because we want to know. I'm done with this misidentified or non-identified nighthawk thing. Yeah. <laughs> No, you do wonder. I mean, it's a it's a great point that uh, these things. It's we've talked before about crypto vagrants, you know, and swifts. You know, for all we know, there's you know swifts in the genus Chaitura or Cypsiloides from South America that every now and then, you know, end up way up north here. And how would you ever know? You know, how would you ever right. know unless it really started vocalizing a lot? And even then, it could be pretty tricky. So I got this new website up where I can sell you some crypto vagrants. You know, Ooh. their value is going up. Uh, yeah. You know, skyrocketing uh, crypto you vagrants. Some, you got some, uh, some Swift coin for everybody. <laughs> Swift coin, yeah. I've got yeah. some Swift coin. Yeah, nice. yeah. Swift coin and yeah, yeah. Night Nighthawk bucks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's those are those are available on Burning Your Best Life, I assume. That's right. Yeah, we, we don't only talk identification and birds there, but uh, crypto vagrants. <laughs> there, there, nice. you know, walked right think, into that. Didn't see that coming. I know. I didn't. That's why I'm here. the <laughs> the The thought that um, okay, so these are birds that you can't identify. We were at that stage earlier, you know, decades ago with dowagers and peeps yeah. until somebody figured out what to look for and how reliable certain features were. And now people are picking out, you know, juvenile little stint, you know, from, you know, the shape of the, you know, the length of the primaries and the shape of the bill and, and some, a few plumage features and stuff. And you, it seems impossible but people are doing it. So I think the Nighthawks, the Swifts, everything will be determined eventually. We just uh, need the right eyes to uh, see it in a different way and sort out how to do this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, speaking of stuff that might be kind of flying under the radar a little bit, Al, um, I thought we might chat a little bit about an email we got from uh, a listener. Nick Ampersy, who's out in California, uh, and he mentioned that he was on a bike ride. Um, I'm not exactly sure where he was. California he was birders, in, very healthy, always doing exercise. Just uh, point that mm-hmm. out, bike ride. Yeah, 
They're very good at virtue, <laughs> virtue signaling as well. Excellent at virtue signaling. Yes, <laughs> that that actually we excel at. You know, it's like, <laughs> who's got the most electric cars? Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick was biking and said it was like it's like eleven in the morning, and he was in the mountains there. Um, I assume it was kind of somewhere near Sequoia National Park. He said he's, he does some work around there. And that he spotted a flock of birds flying crow-like. And that he could see they were kind of pink underneath. And he counted about 30 individuals fly by. And he was like, oh, man, these are these are Lewis's woodpeckers, you know, migrating. And then he said he kept, he just decided to kind of hold a vigil there a little bit. And kept counting for the next almost an hour. And he ended up counting over 1,100. Lewis's woodpeckers, which wow. to me is just like, like, I just like, I think I've been to a nesting colony where there was, you know, like a dozen birds or something. And I yeah. thought that was yeah. awesome. You know, <laughs> seeing like over a thousand Lewis's woodpeckers in an hour, that would right. be really, really cool. That is something I would absolutely just die to see. That'd be amazing. I remember once being in Oregon on, on one of the the Oregon tours and watching like a stream of, you know, it wasn't thirties, but it was like, you know, two here, two more, three more. And you, and they're all going the same direction, very calm morning conditions, you know, all flying South. And, and I, I know you wondered like, is this kind of thing known? It actually is known. And it's been mm-hmm. written about like way back um, with thousands of, of uh, Lewis's woodpeckers streaming through um, mountain migration sort of routes, but not annually. Like some years, it happens more so than others, and it uh, obviously this is that that's big. So i th- I think I think we're getting the signal that this year is a big Lewis's woodpecker year. They're they're funneling out of their northern places. Um, and I think it depends on acorns, acorn crops. And it, there was even a, an, um, an acorn woodpecker here that was out of range too that, that showed up that makes me wonder if there's sort of a, a multi-woodpecker uh, move going on uh, relating to oaks. But uh, yeah, it it is a known thing that this happens, and and I would actually say to you, you know, if you look at numbers of of redheaded woodpeckers in the east, there have been some substantial migrations historically. I, I think I want to say Tawas Point, Michigan, mm-hmm. like a day when there were like hundreds and hundreds of of redheaded woodpeckers, which is wow, closest closest relative to Lewis's and also yeah. somewhat acorn oriented at times, I think. I don't know. Yeah. They're kind of, I can think of them as the Eastern parallel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what's your prediction? One over the yard? Yes. George? Well, I was thinking, I, I, I texted uh, uh, Tom and Doug about this. I was like, I was like, man, look at this. This is awesome. And, and Tom, both you and Tom pointed me in the direction of, of some sources that showed um, that these flights are known about. Um, there was, I think both of you pointed towards different in- incidents of known flights from like early 1900s, talking about thousands of birds. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of these documented that I can tell, but at least a few. And it probably, I would imagine the areas they're migrating through, that this could go undetected, which is kind of what, you know, how we start off talking about this is because it seems like the kind of thing that could fly under the radar. But yeah, I was like, you know what, if it is a flight year, maybe we'll get one out East here someplace. How awesome yeah. would that be? I mean, as vagrants That'd go, that would be such a cool, such a cool bird. I mean, it's an unusual color pattern and it's such a fantastic bird. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, I know that there are just a few records in the East. I remember one from Luckett's Virginia. I think it was like 93 or something, 92. And I think there's one or two others in the east, like east of the Appalachians. Not many, though. Um, but it, it might be a couple more than that. Um, but uh, yeah, there's, there's at least. I mean, there was a an Ontario record 
that was in the last 30 years or so. There's probably been others historically too. Yeah. Basically everything's been in Ontario, by the way. Well, Southern Ontario, man. I mean, it's tough to, <laughs> tough to beat that for, you know, being a funnel for crazy vagrants. Yeah. It actually looks like a funnel, doesn't it? If you, yeah, this big V, uh, you know, funnel shaped thing between all the great lakes. Yeah. So it does look like there's a few more Lewises than I was aware of looking at eBird here, but still, um, would be something else. Uh, yeah. It looks like we're more and, in like the couple dozen records, you know, maybe a yeah, dozen records any, east of the Appalachians. If anybody's out, you know, lives in the Sierra, uh, in California, be on the lookout. And these are diurnal migrants. So just like, you know, redheaded woodpeckers, they go out, fly. Well, although redheads will fly at night, so don't, you know, but you can see them in the day, which is kind of cool. Diurnal migrants are always interesting in that we're, yeah. you're out going over, you know, when we are like a lot of finches, pipettes, horn larks and things. Um, yeah. Lewis's so would be the perfect, them. Lewis would be the perfect bird to pick up as a flyby at a hawk watch. Uh, and it looks yeah. like they're actually the one lone Pennsylvania record was at the Allegheny Front Hawk Watch, October twentieth, two thousand two, as one example. Um, so. And and be aware if you don't know Lucy's woodpecker that if you go, oh, there's a funny looking crow. That's it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yep. Know, because they don't undulate like classic woodpeckers. You know, they just sort of go straight and they have a slow wing beat, and you're like, oh, that looks like a crow there. With a pink belly. Hold on. Yeah, you know, one of the things that's always bothered me a little bit um, taxonomically is that that, that genus Melanerpes, there's two distinct types, right? Oh, yeah. There's there's yeah. like, there's there's the red-bellied Gila, you know, Hoffman's red-crowned type that there's the, tons of those. It used to be Centurus. or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got the, the black and white barred back and usually they're uniform color below whether it's kind of tan or gray and with some red on the crown and in the vent golden fronted is in that group as well and that used to be those were all in the genus centurus um and then i guess they got thrown i don't know when it happened but i guess they got thrown in with the melanerpes which i think of like the true melanerpes as redheaded lewis's acorn puerto rican you know like yeah. Those are yeah. really cool, showy, awesome woodpeckers. Right. And I would love, uh, you know, I don't know anything about genetics, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend I do. But to me, it just seems like that is a very natural divide. Uh, that yeah. I mean, once I guess once you get down into like South America, there's some that kind of, kind of, kind of right. look similar, you know, like they've squished them together and then it gets a little more complicated. But there, there is now an ointment for melanerpes, but. Beside the point, <laughs> little the, little penicillin will clear that right up, right? right. Yeah. So, um, I think you're right. I think this is a I don't want to say misapplication, but of the concept of the genus, the genus is actually sub subjective, right? You can, you know, we could have all the great apes be in one genus if we wanted to because they're all, you know, but. We don't because we choose certain features to sort of set them apart. And I think that's a good one that could be divided up into two pretty clearly. And and we would have more information. The genus would tell us more. We would say, oh, centurus are the, the, the barred ones, and they look kind of like, you know, golden-fronted, um, red belly, yeah. while the other ones are the uh, the wackadoodle ones that they're, have a lot of solid colors, right? and often yeah. just are the real wow birds and they fly yeah. differently like they they, they you know those the, the real melanerpes the redheaded the lewis they do a lot more fly catching they do they fly yeah. like small crows yeah. or jays and that's and that whereas the centurus ones they fly like woodpeckers you know they're, they yeah. they they move they're much more directed they're much more undulating in their flight um it's they really are different no yeah i agree i i I I have not looked at the details. Maybe there's some link um, that suggests it could, should all be lumped. But, but I still, it's because it's subjective, you could always sort of argue the fact that those would be separate. I, right. I think the same thing with storm petrels. You know, they all got lumped into this hydrobatties 
genus, all of the northern storm petrels, huge diversity of birds. I think that's incorrect, that they should be separated into different different genera, but not based on plumage, other features that actually work, um, and the genetic kind of structure. I mean, I would actually suggest a band rump storm petrel not only is multiple species, it's its own genus of species. I remember that so, being suggested yeah, and kind of yeah. was expecting to see it move in that direction. But, but it, yeah, no, Lewis's woodpecker, everybody be on the lookout. Um, and uh, if we had to rename that one, crow woodpecker would be a good one. Crow-like. crow-like <laughs> Pink-bellied woodpecker. woodpecker. Yeah. Rosy bellied woodpecker. Yeah. Rosy bellied. Yeah. Ro- ro- just rosy woodpecker. Rosita's woodpecker. No, there that's you go. The bunting. <laughs> oh yeah, we can't name it after a person. Forgot. Yeah. Um, what else is happening? Oh geez, man. Um, yeah, bunch of hill star stuff. Um, I'm, I'm not only heading for Cape May for a couple days of R and R and catching up with friends and stuff, but next week I'm going down to. Cape Charles, Virginia, uh, where I'll see some friends as well, but meeting up with some uh, some birders to do some about four days of birding and looking forward to that. And uh, and yeah, I've got, I, I we just posted, check it out on Hillstar Nature um, social media if you get a chance, our latest kind of newsletter with the newest, the latest and greatest uh, offerings and we have a bunch of tours where there's just a couple spots left so uh i'd encourage folks to take a look at that and uh including uh some a columbia trip in january to the santa martas and some other stuff too um but uh yeah you're uh you're heading out of town pretty soon right yeah a chilly tour the sort of the big full all of the country tour and uh Saturday, pelagic, only after this one, we only have four more pelagics. Two of them will be while I'm away, so we're kind of run by the uh, the local experience team here. Um, the ocean, man, this, I'll just quickly sort of say that it's it's just gotten really interesting in this last week. Uh, even though we're in, in a cold water year, the, the La Nina situation, it suddenly warmed up. Tuna have arrived. Northern California has Dorado, Mahi Mahi, big eye tuna, which is really weird. Uh, they're catching bluefin and yellowfin tuna or seeing them in our latitude, which is third year in a row we've had bluefin tuna. Before that, before this, is, it wasn't known. And we on the Sunday Pelagic, uh, Mark, uh, one of the people that comes out, Birds, uh, who's actually a expert on seabirds and conservation of island faunas, Mark Rauzon, who's oh yeah, he's written yeah, I know the name. I've never so met him, forth. but I'm yeah. He told me this. This is the weirdest thing. He told us multiples. You know, I really had a good feeling about today because I had this weird dream, and we were talking about premonitions. Mm-hmm. A weird dream that I was at the bottom of the ocean, and I was looking up, and I could see this sea turtle, and and he said, so I'm I'm thinking we're going to see like a leatherback, which is our our sea turtle here that we see maybe once a year. It's actually still, they're here, but they're pretty hard to find. So he has this premonition of a sea turtle. We're coming back. He spots a sea turtle. Mm. I thought, I thought it wasn't, I thought it was something floating like a buoy because it was, I could see it wasn't a leatherback and that's all we get here. That's all we yeah. get. Then it pokes its head up and it's like, that's a proper tropical sea turtle, you know? Oh, wow. And we photograph it, and it turned out to be my life for Olive Ridley turtle. Oh, man. That's here. It's one of those ones I've, I've only heard about. That's I know. That's crazy. And the story with Mark just like premonition, you know? Like yeah, he, he willed, willed it, it to happen. I know. I thought that was the best. And now, you know, and now, yeah. Woo. So we're going on Saturday and wondering what's going to happen if we see some other cool, warm water things. Um, we're hoping for least storm petrol. That's the one we're hoping for. Oh, 
It's a bird I'd love to get a good photograph of. I've really only seen them once. On a, and yeah. We saw thousands that day, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, such a cool little tiny seabird. Yeah, yeah. And they we have never seen one on our trips here in Half Moon Bay, but this is the year. Yeah, you're just a little we'll too far north the right up there. Yeah. yeah, too far north, and it because the usually water's too cold, right? That's the big, right. big issue. Yeah, exactly. So there we go, um, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll report back with some cool stuff, um, especially if we record in a few days. Yeah, yeah, look forward to hearing about that. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad to know that Hillstar's doing well. Your trips are happening, and I mean, uh, I mean, some of you folks don't realize that you know George just started Hillstar right before we started this podcast, and kind of all this change all at once. And there was a certain level of trepidation, and I, I knew George had this. He, oh, he thanks, had it. Man. He had ready. Thanks. He was ready to move to the next stage. <laughs> whatever that yeah, is i, I <laughs> appreciate that yeah no i appreciate it man and uh yeah it's been a it's been a really fun rewarding road we're building a good team and i'm excited about where it's headed uh, so it's been great hopefully we'll do a little better with the pelagics man because man we got weathered out again on one that was supposed to go last weekend tropical storms put an end to that uh so now we're we're looking ahead to our winter pelagic schedule. My buddy and colleague Zach Bear here at uh, Ooh, Zach. Yeah, he's he's uh he's kind of taken that on and is organizing pelagics. Zach and, uh, so, used to live here and he used to come right? out spotting with us and also he makes his own beer. Wow. I did not know about the beer. Um so that's uh, I knew he'd done some spotting on trips out there. I didn't actually realize oh, yeah, he was living yeah. out there. Yeah, he only lives like I think like a half hour from me, from me. And uh yeah, we uh we've been on the phone a lot lately, probably more than either of us bargained for because of all the, the the trip cancellations, but uh but yeah, he's work he, right now he is hard at work on uh our winter pelagic schedule. So uh the Mid-Atlantic pelagic pelagica files uh stay tuned. We should have nice. some some trips to announce probably in the next month or so. And, you know, we, we ever, we're supposed to have a trip tomorrow. We actually had to cancel the huge wind kind of one day windstorm coming uh, after a, a little cold front and uh, a big, big swell from an Alaska storm that that's coming in and just, it was looking nasty. Nine feet by nine seconds is what Oof. is being predicted with wow. 20 knot winds or more. So yeah, you can't, you're not burdening that, that. No. And I, just, you know, before we go, I just want to say that pelagics most of the time go the, the weather cancellations this year have been a lot for us because it's been super windy um, more so than ever. So we've canceled like four trips, I think. And, uh, if you're coming from out of state, out of, you know, you're making real organization to get yourself an apologic, either George's or Ma ours over here. If there is a chance to actually book on more than one, and I'm not trying to just sell you pelagics, I'm trying to tell you the fact that sometimes they don't go. And if you've, if your whole reason you're coming out is pelagics or Brian Pattison's, you know, yeah, a lot of people thing. go down there and multiple, multiple trips and maybe, you know, two out of three go or, or three out of three. And, and often these trips are, are sold out. So, you know, if, if you, you do book them like over here in, and uh, you say, I booked three trips, I don't only, you know, I already did two. And the third one, I, I don't need to, cause I saw everything I wanted to see. Sometimes there's even the chance to actually pass that spot onto somebody on a wait list. Not always, but um, just keep that in mind. If don't, these aren't like, you know, scheduled trains that leave the station. <laughs> yeah. There's a know, limited exactly number. And, expected. No, I always recommend that uh, as well. Uh, we're, we're for some of our winter trips, we're starting to have weather dates scheduled in so that if it, it doesn't go on a Saturday, then we'll try it on Sunday. But oh, yeah, great. certainly for Pattison's trips too. Um, 
if you're going out of Hatteras, definitely recommend trying to do schedule yourself for more than one. Um, and if uh, for all the reasons you state, and also just because you increase your chances of getting something really different, you know. Um, yeah. And and every day is so different out at sea. You really don't know what to expect. Even from one day to the next, it can be very very different experience. So, good right. advice, Alvaro. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think we got to run, man. We're we're on the nose of the hour. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Thanks uh, for the feedback. We really do appreciate that. And uh, Alvaro, have a, a great rest of your day. Yeah, and keep those questions coming, you know, and and these observations because it gives us things to talk about. Because me and George, we have nothing to talk about usually. So. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Bye, right everybody. <laughs> All right. Cheers, guys.